This Tridio production is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and made possible by you, our listener. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit tridio.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 38. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today, we're traveling back in time. We're discussing the first episode of the new Doctor Who uh, called Rose. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken from San Diego. Hi, Jimmy. Tom. And uh, Father Corey Sticker from Malta, Montana. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Great. So we're, we got this um, this episode of, of Doctor Who called Rose uh, that came out in March 2005. Now, uh, Jimmy, you're the, uh, the, the the historian of Doctor Who that I turn to uh, uh, for for uh, discussion here in, the, in the, on the secrets of Doctor Who. Um, they, this episode was sort of groundbreaking in that there had not been Doctor Who for almost most of two decades, right? Right, yeah. The uh, the series had been canceled in in the late 1980s. It had had falling ra- ratings, and the BBC didn't really like it, which was always actually kind of a struggle. The higher ups didn't really get science fiction; they they were more artsy than that, and didn't kind of look down on popular entertainment like this. And so um, they finally did it in. It had a kind of turbulent era during the sixth and seventh doctors, uh, Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy, and they finally did it in and they didn't, uh, they weren't even expecting it when the ax finally fell and they just quickly like recorded a kind of audio epilogue to the final series, uh, survival of mm-hmm. Sylvester McCoy's doctor. And then we got nothing, um, on television. There were still novels and comics that continued and, um, in the gap, uh, we also started to get audio plays, but um, we didn't have anything in terms of television. There was an attempt in 1996 to to restart the series, and they got as far as making a television movie, which saw the regeneration of Sylvester McCoy into the eighth Doctor, Paul McGann. But it didn't get picked up as a series, and uh, so there was nothing on television until uh, 2005 when uh, we got Rose. So the movie, the TV movie, was that a British production, or was that an American? Like, did it air in America at all? It, it, was, it was it was a co-British American production. The the British people were basically in charge of a lot of it, but the Americans provided a lot of the funding. I I believe it was BBC and the Fo- and Fox. Okay, yeah, because it aired on the Fox network. Because Fox is known for how well it treats uh, science fiction uh, shows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, okay. So and then. Uh, between was that was uh, 1996. So, w- what what did we get? What happened between 96 and 2005? There was a, there was an attempt to start it again. Yeah, there were a number of behind the scenes discussions, and some projects actually. You know, there there were the spinoff media. There was one attempt to actually regenerate the Doctor. Um, and have a ninth doctor in a flash animated serial 
uh, called Scream of the Shalka, S-H-A-L-K-A. And, uh, and, and you can actually um, see that. It's still available now, not in flash form, but in in you know video form online. And uh, that aborted incarnation of the Doctor, who was played by Richard E. Grant, um, is is now often called the Schalke Doctor. Mm. And it was meant to be an ongoing new incarnation of the Doctor. Mm. But then Russell T. Davis, the uh, the showrunner for the rebooted New Who, as it's now called, um, his discussions went forward. He was able to get a TV version uh, started, and that put the kibosh on the Schalke Doctor. And so Christopher Eccleston was cast as the new canonical um, Ninth Doctor. So that brings us to the this this episode that we're watching, the beginning of the new Doctor Who. Um, and it, I find it very interesting as we start, as we jump into this, that what they start with in this episode is not, say, the regeneration of McGann into Eccleston, but they, we and that that's actually uh, something that's based on their experience with the 1996 movie, um, because one of the big criticisms of the 1996 movie is that you spend all this time with uh, you spend about the first 30 minutes of it um, with Sylvester McCoy as the doctor. And so they're reestablishing him as the doctor only to have him turn in to Paul McGann mid episode. And mm-hmm. for new viewers, which is what you're trying to attract, it's huge cognitive dissonance. It's like, who is this guy? What's going on? And wow, he's a new person now. How does that work? Right. And it was widely viewed as a mistake to try right. to have a regeneration in a reboot story like oh, that. Yeah. And when you look back at it, I think it was a very effective decision because you start out with this person, Rose, who is your average 19-year-old shop worker. Yeah, shop. You know, she works at a, you know, a a clothing store, store, department store, you know, just kind of your typical person, typical day of their typical life, you know. Yeah. And then she uh, so just to kind of recap what happens in the episode, she's we kind of get a little bit of day in the life and and we we really get this sense of it's a sort of um, a boring life. They're trying I think they're trying like this, the sameness from day to day uh, that she's very dreary. And then with her loser mom and her loser boyfriend. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They they really don't like moms in Doctor Who, do they? (laughs) Because very often they I mean, later on. uh, uh, just to kind of Jackie is sort of yeah redeemed. a little bit but I think they both are I think they both yeah. are but oh Mickey neither of them look good yeah Mickey goes from cringing wimp to action hero by the end of his oh, own. yes yes yeah. um and uh, ends up with a different companion uh, at that end but uh, so so Rosa she's working late um she she has to she turns out she has to be the last person in the department store for some reason goes down into the basement of course because you know that's where all scary things happen um where she's attacked by mannequins who come alive um which is a, another one of these great like um uh, uh, elements of of the of our psyche like people most people don't like mannequins because they're kind of creepy these uh, they're in the uncanny valley yes they're semi faceless and they're very strange uh in 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 especially when you're a kid and their limbs pop off and so they they kind of emphasize that in in this and so she she's rescued by the doctor um 
who and at first she thinks it's a joke. Yes. She doesn't realize is what's happening to her, which is a nice touch. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the doctor kind of runs around with her. It's the, the classic doctor, you know, pulling the companion by the hand, uh, being chased all over the place. Um, and he destroys the building with a, an explosion uh, because, uh, you know, this is what's necessary to to stop. Yeah, because reasons. Because reasons, yes. Yep. Um, the next day, the doctor shows up at Rose's home where uh, he's attacked by a, a plastic mannequin arm, which she carried home for some reason. Uh, um, and which she, no, she didn't. She didn't carry it home. She threw it away. Right, right. As she, she threw it in the garbage outside her house. No, no, yeah. I'm, I'm getting it backwards. No, you're yeah. right. It, so, uh, yeah, and th- but it it crawled in through the through uh, the cat door. Yep. Yeah, the cat flap. <laughs> so, uh, and then he and Rose manage to subdue it after he shows up, having traced tracked it there. Um, Rose, I'm skipping a bunch of stuff. We can come back to it, but Rose wants to, you know, find out about this mysterious figure that she's encountered, um, and ends up meeting this guy who's got this uh, conspiracy website uh, about the doctor, devoted to the doctor, yes, and tracking yeah. throughout history. Um, he tells Rose that the doctor's dangerous, uh, and whenever he shows up, it means something bad is about to happen. And while this is going on, poor Mickey, um, who <laughs> the wimp who wouldn't, who's afraid that she, that she's going to get killed by this internet stalker, stays in the car. Dude, go with her. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> but, but he gets kidnapped by a by a a, a rolling garbage bin, um, plastic garbage. Yes, bin. Pl- of course. Um, and then is re- and that's and that's something the doctor's been telling Rose about about the mannequins is their living plastic right right and one of these living plastic uh, creatures takes the form of Mickey um, and replaces him which yeah we'll get into in a second um, we'll get into that <laughs> uh, they go to lunch he questions her about the doctor the doctor shows up uh, dispatches the the doppelganger or at least takes his head off um, they uh, they end up in the TARDIS and then they they. They try to find the uh, the controlling signal. Um, they end up by the London Eye, um, which Rose... The Ferris yes, wheel. Yes, I'm sorry. I should point that out. Yes, the famous London landmark of the Ferris wheel, which in 2005 was still relatively new. It was built for the millennium. Um, the doctor explains to Rose that the, uh, that the fake Mickey was an auton controlled by the nesting consciousness. So this is where I want to pause. And Jimmy, could you explain the, these are classic Doctor Who villains. So can you explain those to me? Yeah. So the Autons were in, and this is interesting because um, this episode is pulling on a lot of previous Doctor uh, Who introduction tropes. And particularly it's pulling on the introduction episode or serial of the third Doctor John Pertwee, which is called Spearhead from Space. That was when the Autons were introduced. And so basically, um, there is an extraterrestrial form of consciousness known as the Nestine consciousness that has the ability to animate plastic and, um, and sort of live through it. And so in the original uh, Spearhead from Space, um, we had uh, these kind of plastic meteorites crashing to Earth that bore the nesting consciousness and then proceeded to animate shop window dummies. Um, and so that's where this visual trope came from. You had these scenes, this was in 1970, and you had these scenes of, uh, you know, dummies 
breaking out of shop windows through the glass. And then the front half of their hands would flop down, revealing the barrel of a gun. And they would shoot people dead on the street. And so this was incredibly terrifying in 1970, especially for children, to see these faceless plastic dummies coming to life and shooting people dead with bullets. And um, and they've actually pulled back from that a little bit in this episode. Um, the, uh, the autons, those are the animated dummies, uh, the autons that we see... Uh, mostly just uh, for a lot of the episode, they just kind of lumber around and menace people, but uh, and they don't do the hand thing for a long time. And when they do, they just have holes in their hand that fire an unspecified electric charge or something. We don't actually see a gun muzzle and bullets. And so they've kind of pulled it back. But in 1970, it was very effective. And they made an effective uh, villain. They got brought back in an episode called Terror of the Autons, or Serial, I should say. And they were considered effective enough as an introduction that they used them uh, as a kind of introductory villain you don't need to understand a lot about. They brought him back here and used him to introduce the Ninth Doctor. So it's what's interesting is is the nesting consciousness uh, when the, the doctor confronts it as this this big pool of of living plastic. Um, he, he it it says to him that um, uh, it's it's b- blaming the doctor for the destruction of his planet during the time war. Now, and this is the first we've heard of the. That's time what I was going to say. This is the the the, t- the time war is was sort of a a. a, a a, a device that was used to so, sort of separate the new who from the old who, wasn't it? And to sort of explain any inconsistencies between between the two uh, uh, incarnations, if you will, of Doctor Who. Right. At this point, we don't know anything about the Time War other than that it involved the Time Lords. The Doctor was somehow involved. He tried to save people, but it... It, he wasn't able to. He wasn't able to save the Nestine's planet or other planets. And uh, we don't know who else was involved in the Time War. Obviously, the Time Lords and the Nestine were involved, but that's really all we know at this point. And, uh, and we'll learn more about that as we get to know Christopher Eccleston's Doctor better. And then eventually we get a pretty full story on the Time War by Stephen Moffat's era. But at this point, all we know is that there was this big event and and uh, and that's about it. So from this point then uh, in the episode, uh, the, the, the Doctor is seized by a couple of the Autons. Um, Mickey cowers in a corner and Rose uh, leaps to the Doctor's uh, uh, defense and she uh, puts her gymnastics to good use and um, knocks the Autons into the... The, the vat with an nesting consciousness is uh, along with thus releasing a vial of anti-plastic, <laughs> which is such yes. an I, I love the uh, the chutzpah of that as our solution. I mean, the doctor has this vial of anti-plastic that he's going <laughs> to use as a backup in so case his plan to negotiate fails. Is I that? Just, Acetone, because um, you know if you do a good modeling, you know acetone melts plastic really it's well. It's constructed. You know, is that what it it's is? It's constructed of pure MacGuffin, is what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> also, looks like water with blue food color. In yes. It. Uh, yeah, and and the, the nesting consciousness. You know, the doctor says, "I'm here to negotiate." Then why are you carrying this? You know, anti-plastic with uh, with you. Um, and, you know, so he's almost hoist on his uh, own petard there, and in and, and it's uh, Rose who comes to the rescue. Um, 
you know, and then the autons all collapse. And this is after they had they'd come alive in a shopping center um, where several shoppers are shot and killed, including p- poor Clive, who's out for, for yeah. an evening with his his wife and his child. I thought that was pretty pretty um pretty heavy uh, for uh, for uh, a, a kid show. I think they were setting a tone for this new series in a way. They were. They also, and I thought I was thinking about this when I was rewatching this. It was clever the way they did that because at this, they not only had Clive and his wife and son in this mall. They also had Jackie, Rose's right. mother, mm-hmm. and so. And these characters are all new to us. We've had a chance to bond with them a little bit, but we don't yet know who are the central ongoing players. Right. And so when we see Clive killed in front of his wife and son. It suddenly becomes possible they could kill Rose's mom, right? And we right. don't know that they're not going to at this point. So it effectively amps up the drama. So you know, just a few thoughts about this episode, and then of course at the end of the episode, the Doctor invites Rose to to go with him to travel, um, and just you know, with a at first she sort of uh, demures, uh, and then she she goes for the adventure of it all. Um, you know, as I, I look at the episode, I, a few thoughts came to mind as I watched. Like, this was my first real Doctor Who episode. Um, I had caught glimpses of the fourth Doctor when I was a kid, um, and being an American kid, being exposed to something I wasn't all in on, I I didn't really like the what I was seeing from the from that Doctor Who. The the sets seemed cheesy, and I didn't know what was going on, and so I never really got into it. Um, to my everlasting regret but uh when the new doctor who came along and i saw this first episode and i was kind of i was i was intrigued but as i started to watch the following episodes they lost me um that first three episodes after this um and it took me a while to come back um later on maybe a couple years later um gosh at least two or three years maybe four years uh i think it was 2009 in fact uh i came back because i kept hearing so much about doctor who and then powered through these episodes i really didn't like all that much and then finally got to um oh the the david no no even in this season it was the season with the the empty child um oh yeah which that one really drew me in and that's i think that's where i really got hooked but this first episode and that's early Stephen Moffat, by yes, the way. Yes, of course. And 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 this um, but this first episode, Rose, it was intriguing. It it kind of connect, you know, hooked me. I I liked it. Um, and you know, it's it's I, I'm not sure what it was about it that was kind of you know the sort of the mystery of the Doctor, the sense of a history, mm-hmm. and all this behind it. Well, I think they had a realization, and rightfully so, that a lot of the people who would be watching it were not familiar with the Doctor. I mean, right. he always, as I understand, he always was very culturally uh, part of the British, you know, very much a part of the British culture, modern culture, because of how long Doctor Who lasted, how many people grew up with him. But, you know, it was 20 some years, 25 years between the final episode of Classic Who and this episode, you know, setting aside the 96 movie, which I think a lot of people do, uh, was, as far as this consideration is concerned, there was a long period that there was no Doctor Who on TV. It was not something that people gathered every week to watch. It's a whole generation. Um, yeah, yeah, it really yeah. is. So they needed to really reintroduce, and that's it's one thing you know when you as we as we'll talk more about the new Who as it goes forward. They really didn't have a lot of 
classic references the first couple of seasons. Right. It really wasn't until Moffat that that started coming in. Mm. Um, you know, the Octons are really the big one that, you know, going back to classical, of course, the TARDIS and the Doctor and, you know, the, the central characters, if you will. But We start to get the Daleks, too, in this first season. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it, it, there's not it's not like, you know, we, we you know, when we were talking about some of the episodes from last season, we're sitting there pointing out, oh, yeah, this is from Classic Who, this is from Classic Who, this is from Classic Who. You really didn't have that in this episode. There really weren't a lot of things that point back. Right. I mean, just an example with with Clive, you know, why did they have pictures of the previous doctors? Now, in later seasons, they would do that where they would show the doctor in other regenerations. Yes. But they didn't in this one. It was yeah. all the Christopher Eccleston doctor. And, and that makes sense. I think that makes sense for what they were trying to accomplish with this episode, especially was introduce the doctor to a new generation. Yeah. And they also wanted to broaden the base because if they had, if they had, uh, had done a, a highly fan service doctor who <clears throat> um, introduction, like what they did in the 1996 movie, the fans, the existing fans would have turned out to watch it, but that wasn't going to be enough to sustain mm -hmm. a new series. They needed to make something popular that would that would let everybody in. And so they made a very effective choice, not of having the doctor as the main character in this episode, mm -hmm. but making Rose the main character. Yeah. So she's the everyman who's also the camera character that we get to learn about the doctor through her experiences. Well, I know we've, we've talked about it before, but the companion really gets to, is really us. Yes. The, the mm -hmm. role of the companion is to be us with the doctor. You know, the companion's the one that asks the questions we want to ask. The companion is the one who is seeing things as we would see it if we were to go and join the doctor and the TARDIS. You know, that, that, that amaze of it's bigger on the inside than the outside. That famous line, which, by the way, that is a reference all the way <laughs> yes. back. Yeah. You know? and, and notice how they actually introduce the TARDIS. Um in this episode, I mean, it, it's a slow reveal. Initially, she sees the TARDIS and she, and it disappears, but she doesn't see it disappear. She just sees right. that it's gone. We have the sound, and and we have yep. the sound. And then we then when uh, when at dinner, when uh, the plastic Mickey, who we also need to talk about, is attacking Rose and the Doctor, um, they run out of the restaurant and they're in this kind of alley behind the restaurant and Rose is trying to get out. She runs right past the TARDIS, not even knowing what it is. She doesn't know what a police box is because she's in 2005 and they don't have them anymore. She runs right past the TARDIS and is trying to get out through these big metal doors on a gate that are padlocked and the doctor tells her to get in the TARDIS and she at first refuses because how is getting in a wooden box going to help us from yeah. this plastic Mickey that's battering down a, a metal door behind us. So, and but yeah. then eventually she does go in, she sees it, but we don't see the inside. We just see her reaction. She comes back out, runs around it, goes back in, and now we finally see the new interior of the TARDIS, which is very different than the interior of any TARDIS we've seen before. Right. Did the TARDIS always change with each doctor? No. It changed sometimes, 
mostly in little ways, although there was a period in Tom Baker's era where they had a kind of wooden interior. Almost, almost Victorian look to the yeah, interior. Yeah, kind of Jules Verne-y. Um, but, uh, but most of the time it was a variation on white walls with those circles, which right. are called roundels. Um, and so this was with the like giant coral structures and the orange color and hexagonal roundels. This was a very different looking TARDIS than anything we'd seen. Yeah, very alien looking, uh, was, was right. my impression. Um, and frankly, I, I was not a fan and still really, I'm not a fan no. of the new look of the TARDIS. Yeah. Well, and then it's been been the case that every time we have a new doctor, we you know in the new who we have a new control room anyway, uh, in the TARDIS, a, a new look. They they take the opportunity to to build a new set. Okay. Yeah, um, we'll see. That'll be interesting to see if with the same thing happens. I'm I'm going to guess it does uh, with the thirteenth Doctor. Um, yeah. Some of my uh, let's talk about some of our favorite moments and then our, our less favorite moments. Uh, maybe maybe let's do the less favorite moments first because those are the most fun. <laughs> Uh, because we all want to talk about plastic Mickey. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's probably well, just Mickey in general in this entire yeah. episode. Yeah. but yeah, plastic Mickey is. I think Mickey and plastic, especially plastic Mickey, is the is the worst part of this episode. Let's just put it that way. I just think uh, it's it was not only did it, did it look bad, it just it, I just cannot I cannot believe that Rose would would not notice. <laughs> That this creature is not Mickey. I mean, how bad is her relationship with this guy that she doesn't even notice? Either, well, let's let's start with e- either Mickey is a horrible driver normally, <laughs> or yeah. she was completely oblivious to the fact that he was all over the road as they pulled out of the right. house. Right. Yeah. D- doesn't look like Mickey. Suddenly can't drive. Is obsessed with the doctor and and she's staring him in the face as she's blathering on about about her life and her miseries and not noticing that this is not her boyfriend. Right. It's, it's, it's very unrealistic. Um, I suppose, it, you know, Russell T Davis could say, well, it's meant to be funny, yeah. you know, that it's so over the top that she wouldn't, she's so self-obsessed as this narcissistic young person. She doesn't even notice that her boyfriend has been replaced by a plastic monster. Um, but was, uh, wasn't that a Folgers commercial? Yeah, yeah, we've we've secretly replaced Rose's boyfriend with a plastic monster. We'll and see if she notices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, plastic Mickey is is obviously, you know, a real strain. Um, one of the things, and this is, I guess, this is sort of, it, it sets a tone, but it's it introduces an element. Um, that characterizes a lot of new who that is different than classic who classic who, while it did have humor and it did have at times a kind of camp, it didn't have this level of camp and new who is, it is much less serious, much more campy than, than classic who. And that's one of the things that uh, it may help it reach a, a more popular audience. I don't know, but, um, but it's one of the things that I like less and that I think became even worse in some of Stephen Moffat's time. Really? Um, but it's here already in Russell Davis's time. I was going to say, I, th- I thought Moffat did a little less campiness. I mean, he plays things for jokes, but it's not, but it's less, um, far out there i mean right down like when i think of camp i think of like the obligatory belch that the the trash bin gives after it it swallows mickey you know Uh, that's that's you know that's juvenile the juvenile humor that i think of 
at least it wasn't a fart joke. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so th- we will get to those eventually in Russell T. Davis's. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, we will. Well, he he had he Russell T. Davis especially liked the names, you know, the fifteen syllable planet names that were completely unpronounceable, and you know the actors had to spend hours trying to figure out the name before they could actually say it on screen. <laughs> How many takes? You know? I kind of like that. Yeah. You know that it, different languages have different preferences for for word length. I mean, German has these fantastically long nouns compared to English, True. whereas in Chinese the words are all like one or two syllables. Um, so, as a linguist, I kind of like that. But um, one of the things that I didn't like, in addition to plastic Mickey, was regular Mickey. Um, yeah, I, I I understand that dramatically in terms of the writing, what they're trying to do is set up Rose's departure with the doctor by giving her a dreary life um, that she wants to get away from. So this is this this is Rose's escapism, which is what the show is about, is escapism for regular people. But they just make Rose and her her family and her boyfriend so dreary. Yes. And so awful that um, it's over the top. You know, Jackie can't think about anything but money grubbing and and her own sexual adventures. That was the other thing. Uh, um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mickey is just a cringing coward. And even Rose herself comes off as as quite narcissistic in -hmm. parts of this, although she's obviously the most redeemable of them. Um, But uh, but I just I thought I thought that was over the top as well. You know, it's interesting, given Rose's her social status. I mean, she she lives in what's called a council estate, which is uh, the American equivalent would be sort of public housing. In a sense, it's a housing. Yeah. Project. And and so it's she's at a, at a, she's a lower yeah, social status, um, which would be different from certainly from Clara and Amy uh, and Donna were all. And, and of mm-hmm. course, um, the bill. No, the one I can, I can never remember the the, the um, she was a doctor, um, which was um, Mickey ended up with. Oh, Martha. 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 I, I, Oh, I have a mental block for Martha. I, I just, I, my, she's my least favorite <laughs> companion, so I, I just have a mental block. I'm sorry. Martha is actually upper yeah. class, and yeah. and the others are all middle class. Although Donna is kind of lower middle class, yeah. and uh, Bill is, I guess, lower class as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's an interesting you know phenomenon where we we have we spend a lot of time over the next couple seasons in these council estates and in this environment, uh, which is very an interesting element to the show. Um, I mean, at least especially as an American viewer, it's it's, an, it's a glimpse into a, a a culture that's that's different anyway. Um, so I I thought that was I think that's an interesting character element, but I think they overplay, like you said, this first right. episode they overplay the lower class aspect, the um, th- th- especially of Jackie of uh, th- that sort right. of caricature of and I, well, and she's she's always on the phone and you know jabbering with people constantly, you know, and kind of that stereotypical right. Image. Yeah, it's not it's not a good it's not a good look. It's not it's not a good good the, good characterization. The the term for this and this applies more to uh to 
to Rose and to Mickey, although it, it, it applies to Jackie as an aging version of this. But the, the term for this in England, this kind of person apparently is a chav. Uh, this is a term that is actually used later in the series when Lady Cassandra O'Brien takes over Rose's body and says, oh, no, I've become a chav. And a, a chav is a it's a derogatory term for a young person who's kind of uh, wants to be hip, kind of a poser, but they're really loutish. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. crude and they they they're irresponsible and they uh, they dress in designer clothes or imitation designer clothes, and 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 so Rose fits that, Mickey fits that, and Jackie tragically um is like an aging chav that has you know kind of aged mm-hmm. out of the demographic but still retains all of its you know narcissism and irresponsibility so so th- those are a couple of things we that we're were especially you know great although there's you know there's some maybe a little back and forth on that maybe the good elements to see a different cultural class were not so good the way they portrayed it um but I'm just trying to think of some other things that I I kind of liked about this or that like I, one of the things I liked was the doctor's first line. The very first word he says yes. is run, which is just so yep. great because that's that sort of characterizes the doctor. It's that it's that energy. And in fact, it, it sort of characterizes this new who versus classic who which is that relentless yes. drive forward energy um as opposed to the the slightly slower pace of and maybe not even slightly or, or, or glacially <laughs> slower yes. pace yeah. of the of the classic coup um but you know, so that that idea of run and like right from the beginning it's that that energy and excitement that characterizes and it's because it's a modern show and it's the that's the way people want to see this sort of show today i think yeah, I think they're they're deliberately signaling the audience that this is going to be much faster paced. And that was something I wanted to say I liked about this episode was the pace yes. because it really it keeps moving. You don't have I mean, there are there are character moments in it, but oh, but the whole thing as a whole keeps moving. It's one thing after another. And in fact, this is sometimes a criticism of New Who, because instead of having four or six 25 minute episodes to tell a story. Now you've got 45 minutes yeah, and, right. and you've got to cram a whole story in and to make it a big dramatic story. It sometimes feels like it's too fast, mm-hmm. that there's too much going on in a new who episode. But in this episode, I think it, I think it works. I think it, it could have been if it was 15 minutes longer and had breathed a little bit more and fleshed out a few things, it could have been better. Um, the one thing that I, I also liked is that Rose makes actual contributions, right? She's not, she is the camera character, but she's not just the camera character. Um, but she makes actual contributions. There's that great moment where the doctor has realized the nesting consciousness needs, needs a big, huge transmitter hidden in London somewhere. And he can't think of what it is, but she says, well, what would it look like? Well, it'd look like a transmitter, a big circular metal ring. And he's standing right in front of the eye. Exactly. And she's and she like nods towards the eye and he looks around and it's like, what? And he does it like three times, which is great. 
um, <laughs> before he finally gets what she's telling him. And, uh, and, and so, uh, so Rose makes that as a contribution. Dom, as you mentioned, she uses the gymnast skills she's got to knock one of the nest, mm. the, the autons into the nesting and release the antiplastic. Uh, so that's good. At the same time, I, I, I like what's happening there on the writing level, but I don't like it as much on the execution level because this gymnastic skill like comes out of nowhere. Right. And, um, and at the same time, they're intercutting it with ridiculously long stretched out shots of her mother being menaced by bridesmaids mannequins, which is very ironic considering who Jackie is, (laughs) you know I mean? And, and, and they've already got their hand flaps down ready to shoot her. And if Rose and Rose spends all this time jabbering, explaining about she's got a bronze medal in gymnastics and her mom would be dead by that point. Mm -hmm. So on the execution level, it doesn't quite, I mean, I get that what they're doing and they're hyping the drama, but it comes across to me as a little cheesy. Yeah. That was, that was one of the, one of the things like this, that, that drawing it out uh, of that. And like, just like the fact that, you know, she has to, explain to us as she's grabbing this chain that she's going to swing on she's explaining to us that she's a gymnast yeah it was it was a little awkward and clunky uh in that also it deprives the doctor of a function in the climax because as rose herself tells us later you were totally useless in that you would be dead if it wasn't for and he says yep thank you (laughs) and and so he's it's not the classic uh, hero. He's not in classic hero mode in uh, in this episode. Right. Well, which you know, it, there's echoes of that in other doctors in the past, right? I mean, um, uh, next week we're going to talk about an unearthly child, and in that, the doctor sort of is in the same way. He's rescued by the companions. Yeah, he's sort of a criminal in that one. <laughs> yes, exactly. we'll get to that uh, next week. Uh, but but so um, uh, there was one moment in, in the restaurant with uh, Plastic Mickey. Um, where Rose is trying to figure out where she's going to get a job next. And she says, you know, I could work in the hospital canteen. And she says, is that it then? Dishing out chips? Which I thought, hey, like yeah. Bill. Which mm-hmm. <laughs> is yeah, you know, a exactly. fun moment. Um, well, there was a, there was a beans, and, beans on toast reference as yes, well. Yes, that's true. That's right. Um, there's uh, the doctor. Uh, another funny moment uh, for me, uh, which was uh, when the doctor shows up in Rose's apartment and picks up a magazine and just kind of flips through it and, and has immediate knowledge of, uh, well, th- that actor's gay and that actor uh, <laughs> is uh, actress. Is an yeah, alien. it's an alien. Yeah, uh, they'll never. That'll never work out between them. Um, it's just kind of, and he reads the book instantly, which is kind of that's funny. We're, we're telling you about how alien this guy is. Um, right. And then, but by the way, that will come back in an unearthly child. We should mention that reading the book super fast. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I, I loved in this scene, he looks in a mirror and looks at his face and says, could be worse. Look at those ears. And then he kind of flaps his ears with his fingers. Yep. And that tells us he's only recently regenerated. Yes. Or at least this, this is the first like, time he's looked in a mirror since <laughs> he's regenerated. So it's been yeah. fairly yeah. soon, fairly recent. Yeah. So, um, so the end of the episode, he he asks Rose to travel with him. Um, what is it about Rose that she goes with that that he asks her, and and why does she go? You know, it's very interesting. Like she, like some of the companions, she kind of says, "Oh, well, I couldn't possibly travel with you. Uh, I have obligations and duties here." But she goes. What, so what is it? Why does the doctor 
choose Rose and, and why does she go? What do you think? Father Corey, you first. You know, I, I think he sees that she's, well, first of all, open. I mean, you look at um, pretty much from the moment that she meets him, she's questioning, she's interested, she wants to find out. She's she's not like a t- typical dumb apes that just kind of wander through our life, you know, not reckon, you know, as they use the phrase, you know, the war underneath our feet, right. you know, her eyes are opened and, you know, she's asking and she's listening and she's trying to figure things out. And I think that's kind of what they're, you know, what, what's there is that she's got that openness. She wants to see more. She doesn't want to just be doing the same thing over and over and over every day of her Mm. life. Like we saw at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. And that's sort of something that, that, that doctors always seems to look for in companions. Uh, Right. Jimmy, is that something uh, typically, although there will be a big exception in our next episode um, <laughs> when we talk about how some of his first companions. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if if you're going to be successful as a character on the show, as a companion, you need to have openness to new experience. Uh, you need to have a sense of adventure because that's what the show is all about. So um, what I found interesting in this is initially the doctor does not have Rose on his radar as a possible companion. He sees her. He's one of the things that seems to have happened to the doctor in the interim between the two series is he's become very soured yeah. on humanity. He's he 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 wasn't this sour on us in most of his prior incarnations, but he's I mean, he's calling us dumb apes and stuff like that. And he talks to Rose about how she and everybody like her are lead these miserable little lives where all they do is eat, get in bed and watch telly. And, yep. and he, he brings us up more than once and talks about the missing, as you said, father Corey, the war underneath their feet. So he's originally trying to get rid of Rose and mm-hmm. telling her, go away and forget me. This is, you know, this is not all about you. It's just an accident that you happen to see this. Um, ignore me and go away. And he's, he's pushing her away, but then she starts, she refuses to be pushed away and she starts making contributions, including saving his life. And that seems to be what opens him up to the possibility of taking her with her. He now sees her value. Mm -hmm. Uh, He doesn't see Mickey's value and pointedly (laughs) says he's not invited. Right. (laughs) Um, You could have let Mickey die a few times there too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but uh, but obviously Rose has that sense of adventure, but she's also tied to her normal life. And so you have a kind of a classic moment in the hero's journey where you have the offer of a larger life and the hero dithers and about whether to accept the offer. And so we see Rose doing that moment where she initially refuses the doctor's offer um, to travel with him anywhere in the universe. And and the TARDIS disappears and she's and this is understandable. I mean, if someone showed up to you and you've just had this horrible experience and you're told it's always this dangerous, would you want to stay in your normal life or would you want to run off? And and it's totally normal to say, I want to stay in my normal life. I don't want this level of danger all the time. But so the TARDIS fades out and then it comes back and he says, by the way, did I mention it? It travels in time. And that's what seals it for Rose. And we end on the freeze on this on the slow-mo of her rushing into the TARDIS and smiling. Mm. So, I mean, again, a good episode. It it, it relaunched uh, the new Who, um, and it really is it was the foundation for so much that came after. Um, you, you know, the, you could see the roots of so much 
of uh you know when when we get to bad wolf and we get to um the the relationship between the 10th doctor and uh and and rose, and rose. Uh, it's just it it you could see the roots of so much i mean if not explicit implicit in this episode so i you know it's a good episode i like it i'm 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 glad uh i was able to persevere <laughs> past some of the following <laughs> ones um so any anything left to say on that or uh i think that's you know, you about it, covered it. Father I Corey? Just, I was just thinking, you know, you look, compare it now, what, 12 years later, you know, it seems like a light episode. We, we probably would call, you know, rate it very lightly if they aired it today as a new yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. But that was its purpose. It was to be a light episode to introduce the characters. And it mm-hmm. did, I think it did the job effect very effectively. That's right. It, it is a, it is an effective beginning. It, when I'm, when someone asks me, how do I start watching Doctor Who? I usually say, watch this episode, then skip a couple to Empty Child, then skip to the end of this season, uh, and, and then go with the, and then start with the first episode of, of the next season. Because uh, I'll be quite honest, most of the seasons I'm not really all that happy with. Um, there's a few high points. Um, it's really with with when David Tennant comes in and and that new doctor really takes off from there for me. So uh, so that's it for, uh, from us for uh, this time. What did you think of Rose, the first episode of the new Doctor Who? Uh, how you know when did you see it? What what did you think? Um, did it did it hook you immediately or did it take time? Let us know. Visit us at uh, tridio.com, T R I D E O dot com, or our Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us some feedback. Send us an email to uh, Doctor Who at sqpn.com. Uh, you can find links to uh, all our personal social media and websites on our show notes on Tridio.com. Uh, we'll be back next week when we'll be discussing An Empty Child. We're going back 50 years to the very first Doctor Who story from 1963. Uh, I'm sorry. An Unearthly Child. An Unearthly Child. Child, right. I keep doing that. I, mess, I mix those up. Uh, it is called An Unearthly Child. Uh, until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining us in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Well, very, very much welcome. I enjoy doing this. And Jimmy, thank you as well. Uh, secret information is what I'm all about. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.